All right, Bill, we're good. Okay. Um, so can I see everyone there? Is that that's your group? Yep. Okay. Awesome. Good. Well, I'm gonna. I, I'll. Um, I'd love to have you know a few times where I ask questions and have people respond, and so I think that'll um, work in this environment. Hopefully, I can hear you all, and so we'll just try it and see how it works. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, great. Yeah. You're loud. So, well, um, uh, good to see you all, and and I wish I could be there in person, but it's uh, great to be able to share um, over Zoom. I'm gonna. Um, share a little bit this week and then uh, Molly uh, is going to be on next week. I think originally we had thought we'd do these kind of team teaching, but decided to each uh, do our own. Um, so um, uh, let me just pray uh, as we begin. Father, I do just pray that this uh, uh, time would be helpful uh, for this group. Um, and uh, Lord, that you would continue to grow us um, uh, as those who um, lead in submission to you. Um, those who lead out of um, uh, uh, a submission to your word, to your truth, and to your grace. And so help us in that, Lord. And I can pray that you would um, continue to use this time, that you would continue to, to build up um, and uh, use Gregory House, Lord, for your glory, uh, for the equipping of the saints. And we just pray um, and, and seek you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm, um, I think you guys got the handouts. I'm, uh, uh, I've changed the name of this talk many times. I haven't been sure exactly what to call it. So now I'm calling it situational um, leadership. I'm sort of um, leading in different types of situations and, and sort of how to adjust maybe how we lead depending on the situation. I think it's similar to um, what some would call like 360 degree leadership, but I haven't read up enough about that to know if I was using it correctly. So I thought I'd just give another name, um, but there may be overlap um, in that. Um, let me just say as I start, it's kind of ironic for me that I'm, I'm speaking to you about uh, leadership, at least it feels ironic to me, even though I've uh, led Church of the Cross now for over 16 years, I still kind of consider myself more of a reluctant um, leader, um, especially uh, you know, in difficult seasons. Um, I find um, uh, kind of my first place to go is, why am I leading? I hate leading, why am I doing this? Um, I was actually <laughs> encouraging a couple, a couple years ago, Molly uh, was with a group of uh, pastor's wives on a retreat. And at one point, they all started getting into talking about what their husbands, um, sort of what the jobs they talked about they wish they had during hard seasons. Um, and they all had one. Um, all of them were like, oh, yeah, my husband always talks about how he wishes he did this. Uh, my favorite was one of the, the families, and I think they were from somewhere near a body of water, that the husband would dream about being a tugboat captain. He's like, man, if I just drove a tugboat all day, I'd be so happy. It's such an easy job. So... It's probably driving a tugboat is probably a really stressful job, I would guess. But anyway, so so that made me feel better. But there were moments when uh, Church of the Cross uh, began 16 years ago and um, things were going well. We had people coming to the church. We had a space uh, to meet in. Um, and uh, I remember I'd be in meetings, um, in team meetings, and we'd be having a great discussion. The team meeting would go be going really well. And suddenly it would occur to me, I'm, I'm leading this, like I'm the one in charge, and then I would no longer be enjoying the meeting. It would just change. <laughs> so, so anyway, so I guess I'm sharing this with you kind of as, a, again, a reluctant a leader, a person at times that struggled with leading, but I think I've learned some things. I hope I have. So um, so again, how to sort of lead in different situations, and, and, uh, and we'll be hidden on that. And I'll, I'll try to keep moving, but again, I'd love to hear from you all. Let me start. I actually have two stories to start with, but um, the first one um, is actually about... Uh, my um, cross-country team, my senior year um, of uh, running cross-country in high school. Um, and uh, that year, we, um, 
uh, we had a, a brand new coach. Um, so Stuart knew the previous coach because he ran under him as well, a guy named Coach Willie. Um, uh, but um, uh, oh, my year, what's that? Horrible coach. He was not the best coach. Um, <laughs> senior year, a guy named uh, Rick Stover became uh, the, the coach and um, very different. Um, he uh, actually would run with us uh, and uh, was uh, a very good runner. Um, and uh, I was just inspiring. He really wanted to get to know everyone on the team. I remember in the summer before uh, the fall, he took us all on a camping trip where we'd like run during the day and then camp out and talk. And so really tried to build the team. Um, and so was an inspirational leader. Again, he would actually send us out on runs and give us like a three to four minute head start. And then he'd come after us and could actually catch up on some of the slower runners. So, um, so again, was really a, a great um, a model for me. Um, and so I think about him and sort of his leadership um, during that year. Um, and again, as we're thinking about different situations, sort of him representing the leading from, from the front um, uh, and being very much a kind of a visual leader and a leader who led us um, uh, sometimes literally from the front when he would run with us and actually lead the way through a run. Um, also on that team um, that year, uh, or on that team that year, uh, were two twins, uh, Brett um, and Brian Ellis. They've been on the uh, part of our freshman group. I mean, they've been part of the team since I was a freshman. Um, and had always been very good runners, and that year were our two best runners um, by far. Um, so they were part of the team, but not only were they the two um, best runners, but they just naturally kind of led the team. They would host events at their house. We'd have spaghetti dinners. Um, they'd encourage us. They'd get to know, again, different members of the team. Uh, Brett actually is now the uh, president of a small Christian college. Uh, interesting enough, he, I don't think, was, was really a believer at that point. I think he really had an experience with the Lord when he was in college. Um, but again, leaders. And so they um, really led us and really helped the team bond together um, that year. And it was the year I felt most bonded to the cross-country team. And part of it was their leadership. Um, so kind of thinking about them leading from the middle. How did they lead? They were part of the team, but clearly led um, as members of the team. Then finally on that team, uh, um, uh, obviously when we had run, when we'd have meets, um, people would be out cheering us on. Not many because cross country doesn't uh, attract a lot of um, uh, um, uh, fans. Um, but there were a few, um, many of them parents. Um, and uh, one a parent in particular that sticks out, um, there was one of the runners was named Charlie. Um, and his dad never met, missed a meet. Um, and uh, I would actually often at the beginning of our runs be near Charlie. Um, uh, but then um, he'd come to a place where his dad was and his dad you know, was one of those parents that ran all over the place um, uh, to make sure there were multiple places they could cheer their son on. Um, and Charlie's dad would um, encourage him but also like give him direction um, uh, from the sidelines and would actually say like, Charlie, that guy in front of you, you can catch him. You know, You can speed up your pace and get in front of him. And Charlie would do it. I mean, you could see him actually, as his dad was like, you can pass that guy. He would suddenly pass the guy. I mean, it was kind of like, why didn't he do it beforehand? But the power of his dad's voice um, was very obvious. And so I would start near Charlie. By the end of the race, he'd be way ahead of me because um, uh, his dad kept telling him, you could go faster and he'd go faster. Um, and so um, that's what I'm calling leadership um, from the sidelines, from the bleachers. Um, I think I'd now I said from the auditorium, um, if you know, the main place I feel like I cheer my kids on these days is in auditoriums, my kids are very into theater. I just was at an improv show um, uh, my son did um, recently. And so, um, so sort of that cheering on, um, you know, kids, spiritual children um, uh, from that sideline. So sort of thinking about those three. And so that's just an image to start with the kind of, you know, place, you know, as you think about sort of your own leadership, where am I more in that sort of upfront position? Where am I more a member of a team? Where am I more on the sidelines? 
And obviously those can overlap, but, but demand at times different types of leadership. Um, okay, that's my first story. A second story tied into the leading from the front and thinking about that. Um, this happened uh, uh, probably four or five years ago, maybe even a little more than that. Um, I went on a uh, backpacking trip uh, with um, my son, um, Drew, who at that time I think was maybe sixth grade, seventh grade, and then another dad and his son, Max. Um, and both Drew and Max are active and um, uh, had done lots of hiking before. Max is um, uh, very into athletics. Um, but this uh, backpacking trip, we knew would be a stretch for them. Uh, one, they had never done a trip where they wore heavy backpacks. We were actually backpacking into a lake where we would spend the night for um, two nights. And so there was stuff they had to carry in. It's a very steep um, trail um, and uh, not super long. I can't remember how long we backpacked, but we knew it would be a stretch for them. So as we got their backpacks on, as we began the backpacking trip, um, you know, Bob and I said to them, hey, whenever you guys want to stop, just let us know and we'll stop. We can take lots of breaks. We, you know, we want to, we want to get there. But again, we don't want you guys to get too worn out and feel overwhelmed. Um, well, we said that, and then I think, I think it was about a quarter of a mile. Um, uh, it was not far where they were like, okay, we're ready for a break. Um, Bob and I were thinking like, okay, we'll just stand here for a minute. They took off the backpacks. <laughs> they may have taken off their shoes. They sat down on the rocks. They were like, oh man, we can take a break whenever we want. This is gonna be great. Um, and we quickly realized after probably the second or third break, um, that we need to make some adjustments because we were like, we're, we're never going to get there or we're going to get there. It's going to be midnight. Um, uh, and uh, um, Max, um, he started to call breaks pack packs. I don't know why, but that became his little term for wanting a break. And so he'd be like, how about a little pack pack here? Uh, well, I think that's because he took the backpack off. I think that's why he called it pack pack. Um, uh, but we had to figure out, okay, how do we limit the pack packs um, so that we can actually get there on time? Um, they're limited um, campsites. You couldn't reserve them ahead of time. So we we're getting a little worried about that. And we just realized these guys feel so stretched by this that if we don't push them a little bit, you know, we're never going to get there. And so we had that dynamic of we wanted to get there with them. Um, obviously, we needed them to get there with us. We wanted to get there unified, hopefully, and all still um, loving each other and them having a good time. But we also had to help them to stretch. We had to um, basically um, push them harder than they probably wanted to be pushed in some ways. Um, and so that's one image I kind of want to think about in leading from the front. Um, uh, and there are lots of dynamics in leading from the front. But one is, how do you get people to a location you believe you know, the Lord is calling them to? And your role as a leader is, I need to help you get there. I need to help you get to the campsite. Uh, but I want, I don't want to get to the campsite and be all by myself, right? And looking back and being like, where is everybody? Um, but I also don't want us never to get to the campsite or to not um, make it to the campsite in the way we need to get there. And so thinking about that, um, I want to, if you got the outlines, I want to first look at um, the reading from 2 Corinthians, or all three are from 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, the first part of 8. Um, I want to look at three different readings from 2 Corinthians, partly because, you know, um, just get some sense of, you know, Paul's leadership specifically with this church. But I guess part of it for me as well is 2 Corinthians is one of those go-to books, again, in those times where I was wishing, wishing I was a tugboat captain. Um, I often find reading over 2 Corinthians is really just helpful for me to, to sort of root myself in. How did Paul lead? Um, it's a very emotional book. I'm sure you all know if you've read it. Um, uh, there's a lot of strange dynamics. It's a challenging book at times to understand what's going on because of the dynamics. But I find it an encouraging book, strangely enough, um, because I think um, you get Paul's emotions and, and some of the pain he experienced as a leader, uh, but also his commitment um, to, to leading. So um, do one of you, and it should say eight, one through 15. It may say five. One of my 
handouts had it wrong, but it's um, 15, so it's kind of a longer passage. Uh, but would one of you want to read this um, uh, and then um, uh, uh, read it and then read it with this question sort of in mind as you read it. Um, uh, sort of what are the camp sites? Because I, I would say there are multiple ones that in a sense Paul is trying to get the Corinthian church to. Like if we think of that um, image of trying to help people get to a site, get to a specific location. What are some of the locations he's trying to get his, um, his people to, the, the church in Corinth to? Um, and to give you just a little bit of context, um, uh, um, this is actually one of many passages that deals with an offering. Um, from what we can tell, the Corinthian church had uh, made a commitment to give to the church in Judea, um, had probably even committed a certain amount, um, but again, as far as we can tell, had not given that yet. So they probably made some sort of commitment to give, um, but hadn't followed through on that yet. So that's kind of the context of this. So with that in mind, would any of you want to read it? Great. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed the wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he, sh so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that for your sake he became so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Oh, I skipped the line, sorry. Uh, by, this, by the earnestness of others, that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I, gave, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who, are, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, and that, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. Thank you. Okay, again, a lot going on in that passage, and I realize you're just reading it right now, um, uh, just once. Um, but just quickly, is there is there anything as you read that where you can say, what is Paul, where is Paul wanting to bring them? You know, what are, so, again, some of the, campsites, as it were, places where um, he's wanting to bring them. Can you repeat that question? Sure, yeah, just sort of where is he trying to get them? Um, uh, so what are some things, you know, again, where or, or what is he, um, uh, as far as, you know, leading them and sort of setting forward things that he's wanting from them or wanting them to grow in? Generous. 
What? Yep, yep. So he wants them to be generous. Yeah, yeah. So, so keep a commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is sort of sort of two things a little bit. I mean, he he wants them to be generous. He wants the offering to be given. Um, clearly, you know, he cares about the church in Judea. Um, but there's also yeah an emphasis on you made a commitment and you need to keep that commitment. Great. What else? He wants their love to be genuine, but he wants it to actually be coming from a place of love, not stuff. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he very much wants it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because he kind of says, you know, I say this not as a command, but then he then he, a couple of verses later sounds a little bit like he is commanding them. <laughs> but I think he's really wanting it to come out of, he's wanting them to understand the reason behind the giving of the gift. Seems like he wants them to like have the growth that they're not being able to give him. Like the, what? I'm sorry, can you say it again? Seems like he wants them to have like the, the growth and the the maturity that generosity will bring them to. Right. Yep. Yeah, I mean he says, you know, I think he's weighing them to grow in the understanding of grace, right? I mean he's waiting, you know, that that part of it is he wants them to see this is, you know, this is how grace works. You know, you've received abundantly, therefore you can give abundantly. Okay, anything else you can see that he's trying to build in them? Or... Uh, kind of a Christ-likeness in verse 9. He, he, he reminds them that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. The other thing I'd say, and it's a little confusing there at the end, but it seems like, and you get this in other passages in Second Corinthians, he's also wanting them to see the bond that they have with other um, churches. Um, so um, it may feel a little bit like, you know, the Macedonia part at the beginning, like he's kind of rubbing in like Macedonia was generous, you know, but I think it comes from a genuine place of you know, the brothers and sisters in Macedonia did this. You guys can do it too. So you can do this, you know, you can fall through, um, but also the bond that they have with Judea. Um, and it does seem like um, there's a little bit of a sense of, hey, as you give now, um, um, they may have opportunities to help you when you're in need, um, but probably also a dynamic, and again, this actually comes up in other places, of you've already received from the church in Judea. I mean, they're your forefathers in the faith, and now you have an opportunity to bless them. Um, and so I think that connection among churches um, and among Christians is actually something he's really wanting them uh, to, to see and to understand that they may be uh, missing out on and how rich that connection is, how this is an opportunity to actually grow a connection with believers that are far from them. And, and again, some of it probably ties into the Jewish and the Gentile um, dynamics and how important um, that was. So, so again, I would say there are multiple places he's wanting uh, to, them to bring, wanting to bring them. And when I think about leading from up front, I think often it's super helpful to say, okay, and this ties into things, you know, Stuart's taught about, you know, in regard to vision of um, where am I hoping to bring people, whether that's a small group of folks that you're leading or a big group, and are there multiple places I'm, I'm hoping uh, to bring them? Because it may be that it's, it's um, I, you know, I have one clear goal, but it may be in that there are actually multiple goals and multiple things that me as a leader, as a pastoral leader um, can bring. And so, if, you know, I think if Paul is just approaching this from the point of view of, you know, this offering needs to be given, right? I mean, there's a huge need. The church of Judea has a need. 
um, maybe he would have just given us a command. Maybe he would just say as an apostle, um, as um, the one who started this church, you guys have to do this, period. You know, that's it, right? But there's clearly more that he's wanting than just the offering to be fulfilled, although that was really important. He's wanting them to learn from this. He's wanting them to grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord. He's wanting them to see the connection they have with other churches. He's wanting them to learn maybe that they can do more than they realize, that, that there's, um, uh, um, again, an opportunity to grow in spiritual maturity that they have before them. And so he's, he's got, in a sense, multiple campsites that he's trying to, to bring them to. Um, uh, so clarity, I have the, the two um, points there. Um, as we think about leading from up front, a couple of things to be clear on. One is clarity on your authority. And so to think through, as I'm leaning from up front, what is the authority sort of I have um, in this situation? Um, and I mean that a couple different ways. Um, one is to be very clear um, as um, obviously as kingdom leaders, um, our authority comes from being under authority. And so to be really clear on, yes, I have authority, but it, it's always gonna be from being submitted um, to the authority above me. Um, if you remember in the gospels when um, the centurion uh, um, uh, asked Jesus to come and heal his servant. Um, and he says, I too am a man under authority. Um, and I feel like for years I read that, I, I read it as I too am a man with authority. Um, and cause then he says, cause I tell my servant to do this and he does this and I tell someone to do this. Um, and I, I feel like it was like years before I read and realized, wait a second, he's not saying I'm a person with authority. He's saying I'm a person under authority. That his authority that he has comes from being under authority. Um, and if you remember, Jesus responded uh, to that by saying, I haven't met someone with this much faith in all of Israel. I mean, Jesus <laughs> celebrates his faith like he gets it. Um, he gets something um, that I really want everyone to understand, um, which is authority comes from being under authority, right? And crazily enough, I mean, Jesus came as one under authority sent by the Father, equal to the Father, but sent by the Father. And this man understood that. And so I think that's, again, clear on um, what authority are we under as we lead, as we attempt to bring people, to, to bring them along, to get them to certain areas? What is the authority we're under? Obviously, we're under the authority of the Lord. Um, we're under the authority of his word. Um, and that is so key and so crucial as we're seeking to bring people to certain places that we continue to live under the authority of the word. So again, what are maybe our goals? And what, as we submit to God's word, are there um, his goals um, that we need to be really clear about? We just had an ordination uh, last month, I guess it was, and, and you have that great moment in ordination uh, where the Bible is put over the um, head of the person being ordained. Um, and that's an image for all of us um, to, to live under, right? As I'm leading, um, how do I lead in complete submission to and under the authority um, of God's word? Um, and then we're under, you know, structures of authority. There are, are structures of authority we've been given and to be so clear on what those structures are, right? Who are the leaders over us? How do we um, act in our authority, remembering those that were, um, whose authority we're under? So, um, and that's um, great at times. Uh, oftentimes I can say to people, hey, I'm sorry, but you know, I'm under a bishop and you may not like it, but you can blame him. And it's really a nice thing to do in the Anglican structures, blame the bishop. So, um, uh, and, and there is actually, honestly, there can be a freedom in that at times and it can be clarifying. Um, you know, as I think about this, I think Bob and I with our, our two sons, um, we knew, you know, like one of our options was not to pick them up and to carry them to the campsite, right? We were too weak, right? I mean, it was, it was beyond our abilities to get them there that way. And I think as we um, lead from up front to say, okay, what is my part? Um, what am I called to do? Uh, and um, what is clearly only the Lord's role? Or what is the role of other leaders? Um, 
And so um, uh, being under that authority actually, again, can lead to a real freedom and can lead to times of saying, okay, Lord, I've done what I can to try to get them to this place. I believe you're calling them to be, you're calling us to be, this is all I can do. Um, uh, you know, they, that's, that's a, a good place to be, to be clear on um, where are the limits of our authority. And so clarity on authority is in that regard, but then also clarity on authority, and, and perhaps you guys have talked about this, I can't remember, but um, to continue to be aware of sort of where do you have positional authority um, and where do you have earned authority? Um, and I've kind of wrestled with the word earned. It feels like very kind of works righteousness. And so there's like, ooh, you know, we shouldn't talk about earned authority. We can talk about relational authority, building trust, right? That sort of authority with folks. But there is a way in which it's earned. Um, clearly, the main way it should be earned um, as a leader is relationally, um, right? That you're building trust with people, you're investing in them. They see your heart, they see your passion, they see the fact that you do um, act as one under authority and that you are, are learning or leading from that place. But there's also an element of earned authority that does come from just getting things done. And again, you know, not, um, you know, we want to be careful about that and, and falling into a pride. Um, but the fact is, is people see, oh, this is a leader who can help us get to places, who's helped us reach past campsites. That's going to help us in the future um, to, um, to follow him or her. And so, um, again, I think that's to be clear on that and be clear on where, in a sense, do I need to learn or do I need to lead from that place of um, earned authority? Where do I need to, in a sense, lean into that? And where are the few times, and again, I think they should be very few, where I do have to lean into the positional authority, where right? I do need to say, hey, this is my call as a leader. This is um, uh, how I'm supposed to lead in this situation. And you need to listen to me. I mean, again, I see that a little bit with Paul saying, I don't say this as a command, but behind that is, I could say it as a command, um, you know, and we'll see that in the next passage. I mean, he begins the, the letter very clearly. I'm an apostle. I'm, I started this church. Um, and yet um, I'm actually appealing to you mainly from a place of, you know me, you know my heart, you know my love for the Lord. But again, I think there are times where we can push into the um, a positional, um, uh, rightly so and appropriately so. Um, but, uh, but again, that should not be very often. Um, and the main thing, of course, we want to continue to do is to grow in earned authority in the sense of growing in trust, um, investing in relationships, and continuing, uh, uh, again, to sort of that art of how do we bring people along without getting too far ahead of them, um, uh, um, again, I think builds authority. So one big area um, of this, I would say, when we think about this dynamic of earned authority and positional um, authority, and again, I think it grows out of that clarity on we are under um, authority is, um, uh, um, I'm sorry, I just, uh, um, oh yeah, yeah, is um, when, um, uh, when we mess up, right, when we blow it, just admitting um, that we blew it, um, and so, um, so I think that actually can um, uh, uh, give a, uh, um, a lot of freedom uh, when, um, again, when we're in that place of being under authority and are clear on that, then when we don't lead well, and when we make a mistake in our leadership, it's actually not the end of the world to say, you know, I didn't lead that well, or, you know, that wasn't clear. Um, and I think when I, when I see folks being very reluctant to acknowledge um, any mistake they've made, I just question, are they living in that place of my authority comes from being under authority? Um, is authority something to hang on to, as opposed to something that comes from being submitted to the Lord and being submitted to those in authority over us? And that uh, earns um, huge trust um, as we do that. Um, so, um, actually, I got these out of order. I just realized looking down at my notes. So, clarity on your authority, doesn't matter which order they're in, but 
But the other clarity is just clarity again on where you are bringing people. And we already spoke to that. That to be really clear on um, what in a sense is the campsite I'm trying to get them to and are there multiple ones? And I think often leading up from up front, we may realize, oh, there are multiple uh, places here. Um, again, not to make it all about giving, um, even though that's the context, again, that Paul spoke to, um, but I know this has been the experience of resurrection, but certainly at Church of the Cross, um, when we've had campaigns or when we've been raising money for certain things, um, it's been a learning experience for me over the years to realize, oh, there are multiple places I'm trying to get people um, as I lead, lead, um, lead from the front, or at least many of us are. And so we did a campaign a couple years ago to raise money for an elevator. Uh, we had an elevator, it was very scary, um, and people got in it. Uh, it was actually safe, um, but it didn't sound safe. It sounded horrible um, and needed to be updated. Um, and the campaign was to, to uh, replace the elevator and then to put a, um, a sign and do whole new landscaping outside the front of our building. And so these are great projects. Again, as we were working that campaign, it's like, well, where do we want to get people? We want to get people to give money to these things. Um, but we also realized Oh, this is an opportunity for people to see um, in new ways, right? The word church, right? That exists for those not yet in the church. Um, and so to invest money in a sign um, outside that communicates to the neighborhood and those that drive by, we're here. We want you to know about us. Um, we want you to welcome. We actually enjoy nice looking things and art. It was a very artistic sign um, to put money into an elevator. Um, the elevator actually um, uh, previously had only gone up to the main floor where the sanctuary is. Uh, didn't go up to our children's uh, ministry um, area. Now, we don't have any kids in wheelchairs uh, right now. We don't have any children volunteer leaders in wheelchairs. But we realized, I mean, that was a significant amount of additional money to get the elevator to go to the third floor, the second floor. But we realized we want people to have a vision for, we're ready, right? We're ready for new people to come in. We're ready for kids who are in wheelchairs to come in. We're ready for volunteers. Um, and so as we were setting towards that vision of these are good things to give to, it was also um, helping people get to if you've fallen into sort of the mindset, which the longer church is around, the easier it is, that's only about us, it's only about right now. Um, it's not about those who may be here in the future. It's not about those who are not yet here. Um, we're saying that is part of who we are. Um, and I think that was communicated. There's also an opportunity to communicate to people, especially our newer folks, of um, an opportunity to invite them into, um, is this your church home? And are you ready to make this commitment? And I've, I know Resurrections experienced this. It's amazing in a, um, uh, a capital campaign um, how powerful that is um, for people in a sense to kind of have a moment to say, am I going to cross the line? Am I going to really say this is my home? I'm invested here, especially the nature of that campaign. I think for a lot of people, it's like, yes, I want to be here actually till I'm in a wheelchair um, someday. Um, and giving towards this um, actually is a way that I'm communicating that. So I find this in sermons as well and teaching. And when I'm giving an illustration, again, I think of that with uh, Paul in this uh, Corinthians passage, um, I'll often be thinking, okay, I want my illustration to help my sermon, hopefully, um, and uh, to back up some point I'm wanting to make. But I'll often give an illustration um, referencing, you know, other leaders in our diocese, um, referencing other churches in our diocese and great things that they're doing. I give lots of illustrations connecting things to vestments and uh, um, things in the church calendar and to, to feast days. Because uh, we have a lot of folks that are brand new to liturgical worship and sacramental worship, and a lot of people that don't know all the great things that are happening in our diocese. Um, and so I'll often be thinking, even again in a two-minute story in a sermon, okay, how will this help people understand the point I'm making the sermon, but also how will it help our church continue to understand the part of a movement? Um, we're not just an isolated church, um, which is less the case, but used to be very much the case in Minnesota. People felt pretty isolated up here. How do I communicate um, that the things we do, the things I wear, the Celebration of the church calendar actually ties into our maturity and our growing as disciples in Christ. 
Um, and so again, thinking through um, what are the places I'm hoping to get people and how do I help to get them there? So, all right, so that's um, leading uh, from the front. Again, I don't, I wanna keep moving, but any clarifying um, questions or just any thoughts? All right, good, I will keep going. Um, uh, second, leading from the middle, um, and uh, or again, um, leading from part of the team. Just saying, okay, good. Uh, let's read that um, next passage, 2 Corinthians 1 through 11, again, very beginning of 2 Corinthians. We'd like to read that. All right, go ahead, that'd be great. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, the church of God that is at all the saints who are in the fall of the Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction, the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raised the dead. Who delivered us from such, such a deadly peril, he will deliver us. On him he has set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help, you also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of men. Great. Thank you. Um, okay, I should have had these questions before we start reading, but again, as you look at this passage, again, a lot going on there, and I give you um, just a pretty big passage. Um, the one dynamic is how do you see sort of, again, positional and earned or relational leadership at work there? Maybe just look at that for a second, and then any thoughts you have on how you see both of those dynamics um, as Paul begins um, uh, this letter? It says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Right, right, yeah, yep, yeah. So a positional authority, but one clearly that the Lord called him into. Yeah, and then he he's in this interesting role where um, it's like that Paul line uh, describing his experience that could be read as almost a boasting, but we realize in light of Aaron's authority how important it is that he asks for folks to um, comfort out of their own affliction. He now wants them to know because there's no way they would know. Um, particularly in that communication culture, which would only be by letter, perhaps by word of mouth, that he's really been afflicted. Right. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yep. Yep. So building, yep, yep, clear on his suffering. Yeah. And I should say, and I think you can, you probably know this. I mean, Second Corinthians, you definitely get the sense he's rebuilding some trust uh, with this group, you know. Um, now, again, they probably shouldn't have had broken trust with him because all he's done is speak the truth to him. But there probably is some sense that he's aware of. Um, there is some um, 
uh, rebuilding um, um, here um, uh, that he needs to do. So, um, yeah, any other thoughts on that? Just so again, the leadership, how he's leading them in this. Uh, just stemming from that, you know, it is, there's always the question how much a leader, and this is a homiletic question, it's also just a leadership culture question. How much does leader say about what they've done personally? Mm -hmm. And always a really key leadership question like, where do you refer to your personal story? Where do you not? Where does it become distracting or where does it serve its own purpose for the leader? But you really see here, it follows so much preaching as he is you know, writing a, um, you know, a sort of section here. But he, it's really important that we know this about Paul. Yeah. Unless Paul told us, if you will, confessionally or transparently, like, I thought I was going to die. I mean, this was really, really bad. And quite honestly, there's sometimes this value, I think it comes out of, um, quite frankly, our, our British Anglican background on um, don't ever say anything about yourself. You know, like, John Stott never talked about himself. Jay Pat never talked about himself. Um, and it's just interesting here, you see Paul saying, you need to know that this was about my emotional experience and my actual experience. So when I say to you, when you're, when you're afflicted, and out of that, you can minister comfort. I really do know what I'm talking about. And I'm not just saying what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm doing. That's really interesting from a leadership, leading from the middle, I'm in a with you perspective. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Any other things? Yeah. I mean, totally along those lines of how he's communicating that he's a member of the team. Again, if we think of leading from the middle, it's sort of like, I'm part of the team. I'm leading as well, but I'm also part of the team. Um, any other ways you see that at work in that passage? ask a question that uh, you know maybe, maybe we can answer this later as you unpack this passage but um question that i have in, in line with what uh bishop stewart's comments are uh, how how should a to what extent should a leader who's, who sees him or herself as leading from the middle be transparent about the, about how hard it has been to yeah. lead the particular group that they're leading I'm just thinking in this time of COVID, you know, yeah. uh, you know, Christina and I run into a, a, you know, a family in, in the park and they, they talk about how you know, they would like to see things be done differently and, and how we're leading through COVID. And I just thought, like, if I was the leader, I think I would, just, I would just have to explode and be like, you know what, there's this extreme group and that extreme group and all different things and it's so hard to please all of And I just feel like I would want to do that. And I don't know how wise that is. So. Maybe you can talk about that later, but yeah, I'll, I'll hit on a little bit, but it's super hard. And again, I think that is part of the dynamic. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, yep, yeah, I just, I just forwarded an email to Stuart today that I'm like, tell me, give me some advice here because it is, it's super hard. Um, and we've experienced more than others. Um, yeah, yeah. So let me keep going and then get, jump in because I want to be careful of your time. Um, uh, um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, he's communicating um, both as clearly the apostle um, and the leader and um, a leader over them, but there are ways in which he's showing I'm part of this team, right? You come for me, I come for you, right? I mean, there's a sense in which we need each other and I need you. I mean, even something as simple as um, verse 11, you must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks. I need your help. Um, uh, and, um, and I do, uh, well, yeah, so let me, so I have three of these there. Um, which should make Stuart very happy. So he often has all these alliterations. Um, and so 
Um, uh, so I hope you appreciate it. I've got, I've got a little alliteration. The Minnesota group appreciated that, that when I gave this talk to them a couple weeks ago. They're like, hey, we're used to this. Um, so uh, three Bs to sort of consider leading from the team, leading from the middle. And as I'm talking about this, just know, I guess where my mind first goes, and, and probably because it's the dynamic I'm often in, is you're part of the team, but you're also a leader. So you're in the team, but maybe you're the head of that team. Maybe you're the senior pastor. Maybe, you know, again, you're overseeing a ministry that that team's connected to. So that's one dynamic. Um, but then there's just a dynamic of being a good team member. I'm thinking more of the first one, but I think it certainly applies to any member of a team um, can apply these things. Um, and so the V's um, there is, uh, first of all, a voice. And consider the importance of um, uh, your voice uh, in particular, um, but also, um, well, yeah, yeah, second V's more other people's voices. Um, but I just find in general, again, especially if you're sort of the head of the team or you're in a leadership position as you serve on that team. So if I'm, you know, for instance, on the vestry, um, you know, obviously I have a unique role on the vestry. Um, but I need to think about what's, how is my voice heard in this and sort of the power of my voice. And I find in general, I think, um, I, I think this is just true for many people, we tend to underestimate the power of our voice uh, even while we experience how powerful other people's voices are, right? So it only takes one negative comment, as we all know, for someone to say or something that's even not even slightly negative, and it just eats at us. And yet we tend to think our voice doesn't really make any difference in anybody else's lives. Um, uh, maybe that's just me, but I think a lot of us think that way. And so I think especially when you're part of a team and you're the leader on that team, where's the power of your voice and how do you navigate the power of your voice? Um, and I remember, you know, oftentimes the advice is given, hey, if there's a decision that has to be made and the team is thinking through that and you're the leader of that team, be the last to speak. Um, you know, be the last one to share what your opinion is. Often I do think that's a good idea um, and uh, uh, can be really helpful to say, you know, uh, I want to make sure people are sharing honestly. And so I'm going to be the last one to speak so that everyone doesn't feel like, ooh, I don't want to disagree with the pastor. I don't want to disagree with the team leader. Sometimes I think that's a really important dynamic. Sometimes, though, actually, there are meetings where I feel like I actually need to be the first one to speak um, because it will almost may feel a little bit like a bait and switch if I'm the last one to speak. I mean, it's almost like, and again, I don't know that there's any rule to it. Maybe Stuart has thoughts on this. But I feel like at times, um, maybe some of it depends on the type of decision that's being made. And if people just need to know up front, hey, here's where I really am leaning. Um, but I want to hear from you all. But you need to know, uh, uh, just to be fair, that this is the way I'm leading. Other times, I think maybe where the decision, I, I'm not leaning as much, or I'm really much more open, it makes more sense to wait to be the last voice. Um, uh, but I think the, the thing through that dynamic of, you know, sort of when do you speak up, when do you hold back? Um, but again, for any member of a team, whether you're leading it or not, to realize that your voice really is important and really probably holds more weight than you often realize. Um, the second V is value. Um, so basically valuing everyone on the team. Uh, which should be obvious and really clear and valuing the voice of everyone on the team. But as the leader, especially that role you can play in saying, actually, it does matter what other people think. Actually, I do want to hear from each member of the team is really, really powerful. So we were, um, uh, I was talking to my coach just a few months ago. Um, I, I have a monthly call with a, a coach who kind of coached me around different leadership dynamics. And um, uh, we as a, a church, our vestry specifically was looking at, um, a position that had been a part-time position, expanding it to a full-time position. The person that had been in the part-time position um, could no longer serve in that role, so it was an open position. Um, but I was kind of coming to the vestry saying, actually, rather than just looking to fill this part-time, I'd love to make it a, a full-time um, uh, role. 
And I felt really excited about this. I felt it very much fits into where God's leading us as a church and our values and our mission. Um, but I was also aware that um, this is asking a lot right now. You know, we're in COVID. You know, we're not even seeing most of the members of our church on a Sunday morning. We're in a good place financially, but there are huge financial questions about where things will be, you know, a few months from now. And so I was talking to my coach, like, okay, how do I know way? I don't want to hold back on my excitement about this. I don't want to hold back on the vision on, you know, again, the, where I think we're being called as a church. But I also don't want them to feel like, oh, man, like, if we're really hesitant about this, there's no place for us to speak up. You know, I mean, Christian's really passionate about this, um, and yet we have real hesitancies. Because I really want, very much wanted it to be a uh, decision that I really felt like people, there was buying. Like, we really were shared in this. I mean, his simple advice was, He's like, the same passion that you show for, again, creating this new role, um, how it fits in the mission of the church, just have that same passion about hearing from each one of them. Um, uh, show that same passion, and I really want to hear from you. And so not just, you know, although that's really important, saying, hey, I haven't heard from you yet. Can you tell me? Um, I actually followed up with everybody one-on-one -on -one just to say, hey, I realize this is a big decision. I want to know honestly what you're thinking about it, what you're praying about it. Um, and, and it ended up being a longer process because of that. Um, uh, but I think it ended up really helping. And actually, it helped me to clarify some things in some of those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, and I think people really knew, like, hey, if we're not there, Christian trusts us as a vestry. I mean, ultimately, they need to approve um, the expansion of a position. It affects our budget. Um, uh, I think it, it built trust because they saw how much I, I valued them. And so I'm thinking through um, that value piece uh, uh, is a big one. I mean, then the third V, and this ties into what you just shared, Matthew, is uh, vulnerability. Um, and um, I do think um, being vulnerable uh, with the team that you're leading um, is uh, really important. Um, now, again, there's a bit of an art there of how vulnerable do you be um, uh, and uh, what does that vulnerability look like? But I do think it can be really helpful, again, depending on the team. Now, you know, to your example, I think helping people understand, and again, most people should understand, yeah, it's a really hard time. It's super hard to make decisions. And, and these, some of these decisions feel literally like life and death decisions. Um, and that's um, huge. Um, uh, and so, again, I, 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 you know, different, depending on the team, right, there can be different levels of vulnerability. Um, uh, but I think being aware that that actually does build trust. Um, and I think it builds up a team. And so Paul acknowledging, um, you know, you get the sense not just that he physically was in danger, um, but that there was a real spiritual crisis, right? When he talks about despairing, you know, so you think that's pretty vulnerable for him as an apostle to say, this is really a dark time. Um, uh, and I need you to pray for me. Um, I think there's a certain level of vulnerability um, in that. Um, I would just say, you know, in our, and sort of as I've again navigated this, I think there are times where the vulnerability is sharing maybe when I'm not sure what the best decision is here. I'm actually not sure yet. I need your prayers to figure out where, where are we trying to get as a church? Um, but there's also a vulnerability at times um, of actually being the one to say, I think we need to go here. I think this actually is where God's leading us. And again, um, e even in the role of senior pastor, I think especially in that team dynamic, it can feel really vulnerable at times. It felt very vulnerable for me to say, even though we're in the middle of COVID, even though, again, you know, we're only meeting in very small groups right now, I actually think we should expand our staff. Um, that felt super vulnerable, but I needed to do it. I needed to be vulnerable enough to say, this is what I think. And there is a vulnerability and they can say, no, we don't, we're not ready to do that. And that would have been okay. Um, but it took a vulnerability on my part. At times it can be very tempting to just be like, oh man, I don't want to ask for anymore. I don't want to push this team um, anymore. But I think that vulnerability um, helps build up the team and helps build up the cohesion um, uh, within the team. Um, again, I want to be careful with our time uh, and get to the third point. 
Um, but like I said, I, I feel it's especially in regards to, to vestry. We're, oh, go ahead, Stuart. Yeah. So the vulnerability piece is most of all it's an art 
And I think it's actually, I'm really glad Christian bringing this up. I think one of the most important art forms as a leader is when we're leaving in the middle, we're in it with our people, we're in a situation with them, how we're displaying our emotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah, I mean, I think you have, you said it really well. And again, it's, you know, like I said, I, I feel that vulnerability both times in regards to emotion, but that vulnerability times like, man, I want someone else to lead right now. You know, I want someone else to, to take the initiative, but it needs to be me, you know? And again, I, I love our vestry. We have a great, but I feel like I'm always coming and asking for more money, but it's like, well, that's my job. I mean, that's kind of what I do. And, and, um, and if I weren't doing that because I felt vulnerable of like, I don't want to be the guy always coming and saying we need to grow our budget more. Um, I'd, be, I'd be abdicating what my role needs to be. Um, uh, good, let me hit the last one. And again, um, I won't do the reading, you can read it, uh, but basically um, it's, uh, again, leading from the sidelines, leading from the bleachers, um, uh, but you know, clearly in this passage in so many places, Paul's building up Titus. There's actually two other brothers who aren't named um, that he's, he's building up and he's speaking to. And so you can, uh, again, read that and just see the ways he um, uh, is, uh, um, presenting them. Um, uh, but I just say sort of from this leading from the bleacher sidelines, I would just say it's, and again, hopefully you all know this, um, but it's worth saying, it's probably one of the most important ways we lead, right, is investing um, in other leaders um, and building them up. Um, and I think it's probably one of the most sort of undervalued, um, it tends to be one of the most undervalued ways we lead, because it's not really seen very much. Um, and as much as we'd love to say, hey, we don't lead to be seen, um, I think it's just as an, it's just a challenge, you know. Now, clearly, we look at the New Testament and the Old Testament, and we can just see how valuable it is. I mean, just thinking about Paul again, you got Titus and Timothy, right? I mean, they have letters actually written to them, their New Testament, but you also have Luke. I mean, you have um, um, uh, Epaphroditus, you have um, Apollos, um, uh, Aquila, and Priscilla. But clearly, it's like we can make a list of all these people that Paul built up and invested in um, as uh, leaders. So I am. Um, uh, um, uh, watched the, um, I'm sure many of you watched it, the, the Last Dance, the documentary about the Chicago Bulls and, and uh, Michael Jordan. Um, uh, anyway, um, uh, watching that, and I'm not a huge sports fan, but that documentary was fascinating. It was so good. Um, but they had a lot of interviews with uh, Michael Jordan's trainer. Um, and of course, I had never seen him. I, I didn't know, you know, never thought about Michael Jordan's trainer. But then you hear some of these interviews with him, you're thinking, this guy's so important, right? I mean, he had to train Michael Jordan to be a basketball player. Um, then he had to train him to be a baseball player. <laughs> then he had to train him again to go back to basketball. And you just think like what an important role he played and nobody knows who he is. Um, you know, and it's not, we really don't dream about being the trainer um, and yet what an important role it is. And again, you know, the person on the sidelines, that's why I like that imagery of, we don't really pay attention to them, but it's a really important type of leadership. Um, uh, so the, the blanks there, cause you know, you don't want to end the talk without filling in the blanks. Um, I put, I, uh, basically Paul, um, uh, he knows them, he trusts them, and he likes them. Uh, the third thing, three things I was struck by in reading this passage, and again, just even reading First and Second Timothy and Titus, um, is clearly these are leaders he really knows um, uh, and has gotten to know and invested his life in. Um, in Thessalonians, he talks about, you know, we didn't just share with you um, uh, uh, the gospel, we share with you our very lives. Um, and so he's done that. He trusts them. You see in this passage that, you know, he trusts them. That's this whole issue of money and the offering. And yet he's trusting them to work alongside of him in that. And I think he really likes them. Uh, I just, you know, again, especially Timothy. Well, in some of his letters, you just get the fondness, the affection he has for him. Sometimes he's so affectionate. It's almost 
makes you uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> of the, the way he talks to Timothy and Titus and how deeply he cares about them. And so obviously to know someone to trust them and to like them just takes time. Um, and again, I, I find in general, I think if we really invest time in people, eventually we are probably going to come to like them. Maybe not everyone, but most people, I think um, we actually, the more we get to know them, uh, the more we actually grow in fondness for them and can figure out, right? You know, how do we build them up as leaders? What is a good place for them? It doesn't always work out, but again, um, that time investment is a good time investment. Um, uh, the beware of, beware of envy, uh, uh, which again, you would think, hey, if I'm investing in a younger leader, if I'm, I'm speak, seeking to act as a spiritual father or a spiritual mother, of course, I'm not going to envy them, but it does happen, as I'm sure we're all aware. And, and I'm even struck, you know, uh, Paul in this passage talks about one of the brothers who's famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Uh, we know the Corinthian church actually was kind of down on Paul's preaching, didn't think he was that impressive, you know. And yet he's able to say, hey, this guy's famous. Actually, everyone loves his preaching. And so there's clearly a lack, at least a seemingly a lack of envy. So to be aware of envy can, pre can creep in, right, even for our spiritual children. Um, that's how sinful we are. That we can actually envy those who are we should be hoping they will excel beyond what we've done. Um, uh, but it's powerful. Um, and then the second thing is beware of just filling slots. Um, and uh, that's a huge one. So again, I'm sorry to, you know, I want to honor the time, but that's just been a big one. And, and as so much of church ministry, and I'm sure you guys are, are starting to experience this already, um, they're just, they're slots to fill, right? They're needs um, that you need people for, nursery, you know, communion service, readers. I mean, there's so many readers, um, uh, youth uh, volunteers, and it's so hard to, to resist the, we just need to fill in the slots mentality. I mean, there are roles that need to be filled, but again, when that grows out of actually relationship and knowing people and inviting them, it's so much more effective. Um, and uh, in particular, what we found is when we invite someone into a certain role and it ends up not being a good role for them, um, when we've actually invested in them emotionally, um, then we actually can, um, whoops. Sorry, my phone's going off there. Um, then we can actually um, uh, find a better role for them. You know, um, we've had situations where we invited someone to, to fulfill a certain role. Um, it didn't really work out, but because we weren't just filling a slot, we were actually investing them as leaders. We were able to say, you know what, this doesn't seem to be working out. Maybe this would be a better fit for you. And um, that hasn't always gone well, but many times it actually has. So, um, so beware of, again, um, looking at leaders only as sort of um, people that can fill positions. Um, so, uh, I guess my final encouragement is just, you know, wherever you're at, um, I think we can lead in this way. Again, it's going to look different in different types of leadership you have. But I think there are always opportunities to say, you know, are there kind of upfront roles I have, maybe even very subtle um, upfront roles um, uh, uh, where because I'm a resident, right, there's, there's certain people looking to me and that I can help them get to certain places. Where am I part of a team? Uh, where are those that I can be investing in um, even now? Yeah, uh, Christian, we've got, I mean, we're, we still have 15 minutes. We finished at 12.30. Oh, we do? Oh, I thought it was 12.15. Maybe I was thinking uh -huh. time. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, let me know if there are questions or things. I mean, again, I was, I was thinking the 12.15 time. Um, so I can say a little more, but I guess I'd want to know, is there, again, other, you know, issues, maybe specifically around this third one um, that are dynamics or just other questions in general? Well, I, I definitely want to highlight a really important point you make and you're kind of telling our secrets. It's really good to tell this secret. <laughs> um, it, the, actually, the issue of envy um, of a older, more experienced leader with a younger leader, I think it's actually very, very significant. Yeah. And so first of all, I think it's one of the key reasons why older, more experienced leaders don't raise up next generation leaders, or once they do, they stop. Yeah. Um, because it's actually very, very threatening. 
So I, I'll never forget this. Uh, this is many years ago. It was a different music team at Res, but we had a uh, one of our younger preachers preach, and just one of those sermons that came together for them, and it's a really beautiful, clear sermon. One of the first sermons they preached, um, the resurrection. And I remember going, I, I can't believe that. I mean, that took me five or seven years to preach a sermon like that. And this is his first time up to bat. And he really, he, was, he just jacked a home run. And, and I, was, I was actually bothered. I was like, that's not fair. I mean, I worked so hard to preach a sermon like that. And I was older and I was more experienced. And it, it got me. And I was like, great sermon, great job. Um, edifying. And uh, I went home and I thought about it. Next morning, I came in and I walked by the office of another senior leader and said, Hey, can I talk to you? And I, I came to the, the door, I'm like, Sure. I was like, What's up? He's like, Did you believe that yesterday? That drove me crazy. That was such a good sermon. That just isn't fair. Um, and I was like, You too? You felt that way too? And it was this incredible moment where I realized, Wow, like that was threatening to both of us. Um, we were both experienced, accomplished preachers. That was pretty both of us. And rather than actually truly celebrating at first, we were both like, yeah. huh, you know? Um, and so I actually think that's a really, really good point that Christian brings up. Um, because because you, you want to, like you say, and, and you want to cheer them off on the sidelines. But also, also the reality is, at least in those moments, you're on the sidelines. So, um, you know, to his point, if you're not known, if you're not actually in that moment, like with a preaching situation or this situation that I get to observe, you're actually not in the game at that point. Um, and so I, I think there's a lot of dynamics there, Christian, that you've highlighted that are really, really important. And it's, it's probably one of the more secret things that most Christians don't want to admit, but we're often threatened uh, by our next generation leaders. And I'm not talking about them challenging us, because they also, if they're good leaders, they're also going to do that. That's also threatening. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, and it's, you know, amazing how many, you know, leaders you can talk to that experience that. And we're like, yeah, I was being given all these leadership opportunities and suddenly it just stopped. And and suddenly, you know, the, the leader was really cold to me. I mean, you hear it, sadly, I, I feel like I hear that a lot. It's like, oh no, but then you, you, you see it in yourself. So yeah, I mean, uh, Rick Storrs, you know, leads a, a church plant restoration. Uh, he sent out a letter a couple of weeks ago in regard to kind of the whole COVID thing, and they were adjusting some of the worship services. It was such a good letter. And I read it after I just sent ours out. And, you know, it was probably like, man, like his is so much better than mine. And, and again, it's like, I was praying for this. I'm so, you know, I wanted this. And now I'm, I'm feeling it. I think you just have to kind of name it and then, you know, confess that to the Lord. And then, and, you know, because then, then actually, then I can say, oh, what can I learn from this letter? What, what can I, you know, if I'm prideful, I'm actually not going to, have an opportunity to say, wow, there's some really good things in this letter that I'm going to use the next time I send the letter out. Um, uh, but we can miss out on, on growth opportunities for us. So, yeah, in regards to the filling the slots thing too, and again, I think this is probably, in some ways should be obvious, but we just find it again and again, um, that uh, the time of, again, inviting people into certain um, leadership roles, inviting people just into even being a greeter on a Sunday morning, it can feel like, I shouldn't be spending so much time doing this. Um, uh, we feel that a lot. Um, and yet the power actually in someone being personally invited to something, the power in someone, in, you know, me or some other leader, it's less me now, than saying, hey, I think, you would, I think you'd be great in this role. Um, it's just such a blessing to people. We still have one of our key leaders now who still will talk about, 
And they, I think they had been here about six months and uh, Molly invited them on the missions team and we really needed people on the missions team. But I think she'd had one conversation where they just talked about their love for missions and missionaries. Molly remembered that and a couple months later said, hey, I know you guys love missionaries. And, you know, would you be up for me on our missions team? And uh, I don't know why, but I mean, it blew them away. I mean, again, they still mentioned it um, and what an impact that had on them. And they were kind of like, that's when we knew this is our church, you know? And again, it was a simple thing of remembering those people really love missionaries and they're mature leaders. And so, um, so again, the, you know, I think the temptation is, oh, just put an announcement in the bulletin. You know, we need people to, you know, set out coffee. Um, and sometimes that works fine. Uh, but uh, the actual work of inviting someone to set out coffee because you've found them to be detail oriented or whatever, I think reaps, reaps big benefits long-term. So, um, and like I said, we've had some situations where we invited people to help in certain ways um, and it didn't work out. Um, we had someone lead our greeter ministry who um, I don't think he'd ever greeted. I, I don't know why I asked him to lead the greeter ministry other than I knew he was super organized and had to do a lot of logistics in his job. Um, but he didn't, it wasn't good. He did not lead the greeter ministry well. It's pretty bad. But we had three or four meetings about as we tried to keep figuring out how to make it work and it wasn't working. And in those meetings, I got to know him well enough that when the time came to say, you know what, greeter ministry isn't working, which he knew and was ready to step down. I was able to say, but I think he'd be a really good fit here. And he moved into a different role and has been a great fit in that role. So, good. Any other thoughts or things that jump out at you and can? I know like at any given moment, and especially within a specific leadership position, you're often going to embody all three of these roles, right? And I'm thinking about teaching. So I'm a private violin teacher, and I see my role as both leading from the front and leading from the sideline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a major dynamic, I think this ties into what Stuart was saying earlier and kind of that vulnerability piece and even the way, you know, you see Paul at the beginning of Second Corinthians um, is, I mean, I feel like, yeah, I feel like there is that, you know, I kind of need to be upfront. Um, I mean, there's a way in which obviously you can invite people to do what you're not doing, you know? And so, um, so, you know, this is a classic one, you know, if you're telling people you need to be sharing faith with your friends and, you know, your neighbors and you don't have any non-Christian friends, which, you know, has been an issue for me at times, you know? So I'm like, well, I better, you know, start taking guitar lessons so I can at least have one Christian in my life who's teaching me guitar um, or one non-Christian. And so I think that's a dynamic of, I need to, I need to be doing what I'm calling people to do in that sense. I need to be going where I'm calling people to go. But there's also something really powerful, uh, again, I think in an appropriate way of saying, I'm on this journey with you, you know? And I tend to, I mean, I tend to be very careful about giving any examples. I mean, this guy ties into the Paul dynamic of, that make me look too good, you know? It's like, I just feel like, yeah, you know, I do like personal stories, but man, when it's a personal story of when I've learned from a mistake, it's just so powerful. I think then people are like, oh, I I'm there. But you have to, again, have at least some moments where you grew if you're calling people to grow. So I don't know if that, I just, I guess I agree with you. I think being aware of both of those dynamics and teaching are all three of them are huge. And, and, uh, and that is where I think even the examples we give, the stories we share, um, sort of the posture, even when, when do you use I language and when do you use we language? I mean, I think it's, it's a really big deal, you know, and I lean towards always using we language, but there are some times, and I feel like I've learned this from our Bishop, where you need to say, I really believe this is where God's calling us. You know, as your leader, I have a deep sense that this is what we're supposed to do. I find that hard, but I think if it's only we language, I'm not, I'm perhaps abdicating some of the responsibility I have. Okay. Yeah. 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 Ye
All right. Well, let's say other thoughts. I'm I'm good. Thank you, Bo. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Excellent. Good. Well, okay. let me. If I got two more minutes, let me. Can I say another prayer for you guys? Yes, please. Uh, Father, we do. Um, yeah, we just remember, Lord, um, that any leadership we have um, again grows out of our submission to you. Lord, I pray for um, places in which we're uh, waiting, um, and specifically for uh, these residents where they are excited about um, having more leadership and maybe in a real position of waiting for that, um, waiting for new opportunities and new roles, um, that you would uh, minister to them in that place of waiting, that you would um, uh, uh, give them a real peace, um, that uh, uh, you will sort of use the abilities and gifts and vision that you're um, developing now in the future. Um, give them trust, um, uh, again, in, in the hidden work you're doing now. Um, and uh, again, give them uh, patience where patience is needed, Lord. But I do pray as well for each one of us, for eyes to see, especially, Lord, and those that perhaps we're called to invest in right now, that we're called to have more of a sideline role in, um, that we would embrace uh, that role um, and that we would um, see the power of our voice in that role. Um, and that those that perhaps we can encourage and um, uh, uh, strengthen, um, uh, that we would um, step out uh, to do that. And again, we'd have eyes to see um, those that you've already put in our lives that we can invest in and develop um, and bless um, as leaders. Uh, and again, Lord, we thank you that you are in charge um, what freedom that gives us. And um, we give you all thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you.